if you will, this morning. Turn with me to our text this morning, at least the place that we'll be starting, and that is in Luke 24, verses 2 and 3. It's Luke 24, 2 and 3. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. Let us pray. O Lord, how great Thou art, how merciful Thou art, how faithful Thou art. I thank You, Lord, that You have brought us through another week and that You have put a hedge about us, that You have kept us safe, that You have brought us together to worship You, Lord, in spirit and in truth. We truly ask this day that that would be the case, that You would fill this place with Thy Spirit, that You would speak to our souls, that You would bring us to Thy feet, that you would give us a mind to be instructed this day. Lord, we would find comfort and peace in thy word this morning, that you would be pleased to drop down that heavenly manna, that we may understand, that we may see, that we may behold the glory of thy Son. May you be pleased to bless this hour as it pleases you. For this I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text this morning tells us that When they entered in, they found not the body of the Lord Jesus. It is what we come together to celebrate. Maybe you don't realize it, but every time we come together, we come together to celebrate celebrate resurrection life. For if that tomb was not empty, we would have nothing to celebrate. The life that we live in Christ Jesus is because of resurrection life. It's because... Of what he's done. I'm amazed. I'm amazed even more every day as the Lord reveals to me deeper and deeper what he has done for me and my soul, what he's done for my body, what he has done for the complete me, what he's done for all of his people. Every day, as the Lord is pleased to grow us in the grace and knowledge of him, he reveals to us a little more. He allows the crumbs to fall from his table to show us what life truly is in him. I pray today that as we look into the scriptures and we celebrate and we have joy and hope of the scriptures, my desire today is for you to come with me, to come with me as we look together into the tomb. Sometimes we miss things in the word of God. The Lord left a a great record. He left us, first and foremost, what was not in the tomb. But there were things left in the tomb that bring great comfort, great hope, and great peace to his children. This morning I want to look at those things. I want to look at them in the hope that Paul wrote about in Romans 15.4 when he said, For whatsoever things were written for our learning." that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. My prayer for you today, as prayer for myself, is that we have that resurrection living hope. As we go from this place, I know this isn't resurrection day, but as Brother Paul said last week, it's not a, a day in the child of God's life. It is life. It's what we celebrate always. We have life because he died and gave us life. We have life because He is risen. We have life because of His life. And yes, I do 
take great joy in this time of year. I, I take great joy that the emphasis is on the resurrection of the Lord this time of year. But as I said, if the Lord is pleased, if he allows those crumbs to fall from the table today, maybe as it pleases him, we will see some things that maybe we haven't seen before. So the first and foremost, I do want to draw your attention to the two things that were not there. Our text tells us what those two things were. Well, at least it alludes to one. And the first one is the body of Jesus wasn't there. That is what we celebrate. We celebrate the great, the resurrection of our Lord. He is a risen Lord. Death could not hold him. David said in Psalm 16:10, which was later quoted by Peter in a sermon, he said, For thou will not leave my soul in hell. You will not leave my soul in the grave. You will not leave my soul in separation from you, Father. Neither will thou suffer thy Holy One to see corruption. David was speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter was speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. His body never saw corruption. His body was raised from the tomb. His body was raised from the grave. And the second thing that goes hand in hand, I hope you see in the empty tomb, is of something else that was not there. And that was death. Death had been defeated. Death had been conquered. The Lord Jesus Christ and his raising from the dead defeated death. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 55, he asked this question. He said, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? We ask that question today, but we're told, Paul went on to say, that the sting of death is sin. The Lord has taken the sting of death away because he's taken our sins away. I remember early as we had young children and Stephanie, every time they'd get stung by a bee or a wasp or something, she'd gather the children together and she'd always be looking for that stinger. She'd always be trying to get that stinger. She'd put something on there to make sure that stinger wasn't left in there. And I think about that in the spiritual setting and I think about what Jesus did. He took the sting of death away. For the child of God no longer fears death. It's a portal opening to eternal life. Because sin has been dealt with. Sin has been put away. There's nothing to separate us from eternal life because of Jesus. He has paid it all. He has done it all. That sting of death has been taken away. And we have to look at that tomb. And as we look at the tomb and we don't see the body. And we don't see death. We say, death, where is your victory? And I hope that that's something realized in your life for all of us. I know it means a little more to me now as I get older and those things get more prevalent in my mind. I'm sure it is for the older ones in the room. Probably not so much for you younger ones. But death is a reality. We'll see that today. But for the child of God, there isn't a death. We fall asleep in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we take that last breath, we are in the bosom of the Father soul we and that's that's what that's what paul's saying grave where is your victory death where is your victory and when we look into that tomb and we don't see that body and we our text today when we turn to john 20 again we're going to see that all three of them looked in there mary peter and john what did they see what do you and i see and the first thing I hope we don't see is the body. I hope you live in that reality every day. 
that death is defeated. Jesus Christ is the resurrection. He is the life for his people. I pray that that is your life today. And if if it's not, that the Lord makes it that way. Because he is life. He is the giver of life. So, So those are the things that we do not see. The body and death. We see that in verse 6. He says he is not here, but he is risen. He's not here. The tomb was empty from that standpoint. Jesus' body now is no longer there. Jesus is risen. Hallelujah, he is a risen Savior. Now, we turn to John 19 as we go to examine what was there. There were some things that were left behind. And they're very instructive for the children of God and very instructive for you and I today because they're needful. They're needful to be seen. I pray that the Holy Spirit is pleased today to plow our hearts, to bring forth those things that that we need to see, that they bring us comfort, that they bring us peace. First thing I want you to do is we're in John 19. I want you to focus in on verse 38. Jesus now has dismissed his life he has given up the ghost he has now been passed he's passed from this life he's dead okay and we pick up in verse 38 and after this that's what was spoken of there after this after the death of christ this joseph of arimathea being a disciple of jesus but secretly for fear of the jews besought pilate that he might take away the body of jesus This is the time we meet Joseph of Arimathea. We haven't met him before. We have found out that he is a secret disciple. He is one that's a part of the Sanhedrin. So he doesn't speak out. He's just like Nicodemus in that place. But he believed Christ. Christ was his Lord. And in this time, in this time where all of his disciples would forsake him and all of them would flee from him, and leave Jesus there to die alone in the absence of his disciples. And now that you you have to think about that, the ones who claim to love him the most, Jesus now is dead. What's going to take place with his body? Did any of them care? Did any of them show any remorse or anything to come back for the body? They did not. But the Lord raised one up, and his name was Joseph of Arimathea. He was a well-known person, but he was known unto the Lord. The Lord knew him. The Lord had a relationship with him. And I want you to understand the impact of the death of Christ. The impact of the death of Christ on the soul of Joseph made him less fearful. He saw Jesus crucified. And seeing Jesus hang on that cross, he came after Jesus' body was dead and on the still hanging there, and he begged for the body of Jesus. That was the impact that the death of the Savior had upon him. And I have to ask you this morning, does the death of Christ have that impact upon your soul? That maybe you are a quiet one. Maybe you are reserved. Maybe the Lord's work in your soul is a, is a quiet work. But the Lord, when He comes with that power to show you that He died for your sins 
It brings this one who's been quieted in the shadows and it brings him to the forefront and it brings him to a place of danger. We're at the, at the very place where the ridicule and all of those that mock Christ, he stood in opposition to them and he went to Pilate. And because he was an influential person and because he had the means, Pilate released to him, all in the providence of God, he released to him the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. All in God's providence. And he released the body to Jesus and Pilate gave him leave and he came therefore and he took the body of Jesus off the cross. And there came also, what did the power of the the death of Christ do for Nicodemus? We met Nicodemus back in John 3. He He came to Jesus by night. He was silent again. He was one that sat in the Sanhedrin also. He was afraid to speak out. But the death of Christ had an impact upon Nicodemus. He came, there came also Nicodemus, which which at the first came to Jesus by night, and he brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Now, in our translation of that today, it'd be about 72 pounds. Think about that a minute. 72 pounds of ointment, aloes, and myrrh. That's important. We'll find out why in a few minutes. Then they took the body of Jesus, wound it in in linen clothes, with the spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. There happened to be a garden. I don't say that by being funny. The Lord provided that the tomb that Joseph would own, that he bought in part, the Lord went before, and that was right next to the crucifixion place. You don't understand there was such a rush at the time that Jesus died because the Passover was about to begin. There was, you could do nothing once the Passover started. There was a rush. They took down the body and they hurried and Joseph, lo and behold, had an empty sepulcher. We're never one, well, we're told that. And in the garden, a new sepulcher wherein never man yet laid. There they lay, laid they Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. It was right there, and it was time to prepare for the Passover. So Jesus now is in the tomb. Well, we've already heard our text this morning tells us that his body wasn't there on the third day. So now that we've laid the groundwork, I want to speak about what was there. And the first thing, as I've already made reference to it, is there was a great fragrance. I want you to think about that a minute. When they came and they peered into that tomb, when they came in and looked into that tomb, and when it was rolled away, there were 72 pounds of myrrh and what is it? Aloes, and it fragranced the place. There was no smell of death. There was no, there was no bad smell. There was the smell of life and fragrance. You say, well, that doesn't seem like much. Well, it does when you think about what Paul wrote in Ephesians 5.2. He said, And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. That sacrifice that Jesus made for his people was accepted of the Father. 
because it was perfect. There would be no more sacrifices. It, that aroma that went up to the Father, that aroma that was in the place, when those that were in there, they knew it was a sweet-smelling place. And when they opened that place, it just it, it reeked of the, ple- the pleasure of the Lord. He was well-pleased in His Son. He was well-pleased in all that the Son accomplished. In Hebrews, Paul wrote this in Hebrews 10, 12, and 14. He said, But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Think about that. Every one of the people of God that the Lord chose, that the Father chose, and set apart for his holy use, Every one of them were perfected by the Lord Jesus Christ's sacrifice. That's what that text tells us. That means everything that he did in his death and resurrection provided for us in our death and resurrection, provided for us in our life. Everything that we will ever need. Everything. There's nothing we could possibly fathom that Jesus hasn't provided for us. So the first thing, as I said, that we look at this morning, the things that were still in the tomb, that one may be less obvious, but that 72 pounds was still in there. And it fragranced the place. And I, and I hope that as I shared that scripture with you in, in Ephesians, that the Holy Spirit takes that and shows you today how well pleased the Father was in His Son. He did everything perfectly. He laid down His life for the church. This is the power of the resurrection. We take great happiness and hope that Jesus accomplished it all. All of the ceremonies, all of the law has now been fulfilled. No more blood of bulls and goats. No more will worship. No more what I do for Christ. No more um, salvation by works. Nothing. Not that there ever has been, but certainly they believed it that way, didn't they? Didn't the Jews believe that? Jesus had done it all. And and that well-pleasing smell to the Father showed His pleasure in what the Son had. I hope you take as much pleasure in it as the Father does. And we will by the power of the Holy Ghost. The second thing is a lot more obvious, and that comes in 5 and 6. We see that um, they both ran together in 4. Peter therefore went forth as the other disciple, and they came to the sepulcher. They both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter. He was a lot younger than Peter. And they first came, and they came first to the sepulchre. And stooping down and looking in, they're looking into the tomb. They saw the linen clothes lying. Yet went he not in. Then cometh Peter in verse six, following him, and he went into the sepulchre, and he saw the linen clothes lie. And that's the second thing we have to see that was left behind: the linen clothes. Why is that important? it proves that the body was not stolen. 
That's first and foremost, because we do know that that was purported at the end. They paid all of the false liars, the, the, the soldiers, to say that the disciples came and took the body, and, but this proves that the body wasn't stolen. They would have taken the body with it being wrapped in the clothing, I would hope. And, um, and it also proves that he conquered death. I want you to hold your finger there. Just turn back to John 11 with me real quick. John 11 is where Lazarus died and Jesus would call him forth. And I want to show you something about when Lazarus came forth. Um, Let's just start in 43 and read a couple of verses here. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Now notice this. And he that was dead, he came forth, and he bound his hand, and it bound hand and foot with grave clothes. When he came out of the tomb, he had his grave clothes on. Jesus, when he came out of the tomb, he didn't have grave clothes. That's very significant. Jesus was done with death. Lazarus is going to die again. There is a reason that that. Those grave clothes are needed for us in this life. We're all going to go that way. Death is imminent for all of us. At least, Lord, well, I mean, unless the Lord comes in that time, I should say. But he that was dead, he came forth with grave clothes, and his face was bound with a napkin. Jesus said unto them, Loose him and let him go. That tells me something about those grave clothes that he still was in bondage until the Lord Jesus said to him, loose him and let him go. That's spiritual to us. We're in bondage day after day. We're in bondage to sin. We're in bondage to the law. We're in bondage to the have-tos and the must-tos and the things that pollute our, our minds. And until Jesus says, loose him and let him go, that's the only way we have freedom, freedom in Christ. The truth shall set you free. Well, if we look back into the tomb now and we go back to our text and we see that the linen clothes were still there, it shows us that Jesus would never need those again. He left them behind. It tells us that he died once. That's important too. Paul said it in Romans 6.10. He said, For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. He, live it. he now lives unto God. We, as we're brought from death to life, live unto God by the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hold your finger there in the text again, and we're going to go over here to Hebrews. I know we're going a lot of places today. But we're going to go to Hebrews 9, at the end of Hebrews 9. I want you to see something that this signifies, the fact that the grave clothes were left behind and the fact that Jesus has now risen, it guaranteed something. Let's see that. So look at verse 26 in Hebrews 9. For then must he have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world, the end of the age, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. That's what we've read today. He put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Let those words sink in a little bit. Let the Holy, I pray the Holy Spirit comes and says, He put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. He took them away from the children of God as far as from the east is to the west. 
And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. That's what I said earlier. When we close our eyes, we will be known as we are known. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, not all, but his people only, and unto them, that's his people, that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. His resurrection guaranteed his return. It guaranteed it. And his people always, with the faith of the Son of God, look toward that day. It's assured for us. It's guaranteed because those linen clothes are still there. He's done with death. He's not coming to deal with death ever again. He's coming to take his people to heaven with him. Which we'll talk about, Lord willing, more next time. As we go back to our text now, we're going to see the third thing that's left in there. And if we just look at the progression of things, we find it in verse 7. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. So the napkin was left behind. This is very significant. There was, there was two uses for the napkin in the Jewish society and what they used it for. One was to dab the sweat off of you while you were working. So as Jesus was carrying the cross and as he was put on the cross and as he was sweating and as they took him off, they dabbed his face off with a napkin. It was to use to absorb sweat. So the first thing we see, that napkin is left behind, isn't it? Which means there's a rest for the people of God. No more work. Jesus said, it is finished. What he accomplished on the cross, it was done and it is finished. No more work. No more sweat. No more. You and I today live in that reality by the power of the Holy Ghost. We live in the reality that Jesus has finished salvation for us. Jesus has went before us. Jesus has finished it all. There's no more work. That's what Hebrews 4.9 tells us. There now for, maybe it's 2.9, remains a rest for the people of God. But that's not all. Back in their time, they used it to wipe away tears. The napkin was always used to wipe away tears. Whenever they would get together at a time to mourn the death of one that they loved, this was their custom, everyone that would be crying, they would pass around this handkerchief and they would dab the tears of their face. As the handkerchief got full and wet, they would take it to a bottle or a basin and they would wring it out in the bottle or the basin and then they would pass it back around. The one would pass it around for everyone to dab. That was the part of the mourning. What does that tell us? If it didn't come to mind, I'll go ahead and quote it for you. David said this in Psalm 56, 8. He said, Thou tellest my wanderings, put thou my tears in thy bottle. That's what he was referring to. That's what he's talking about. The Lord puts them in remembrance. That's what that... That tradition was, that custom was for, to remember. It was a part of remembering the dead. 
David asked the Lord to put his, his tears in the bottle. Are they not in thy book, he asked? Does the Lord not know every tear that we shed? Does the Lord not know that every time that we shed a tear, the sorrow that we have? I consider my wife the one that I know the most on the face of this earth. I know when she's sad, I know when she's happy. But there are times her tears are hidden from me. There are times that she grieves and I'm not around. There's times that she grieves and I am around. There's times that, that I don't notice the tears that are being shed. But that's me. Her Lord does know her tears. That's what David said. Have you kept my tears in a bottle? You know all about my sorrows. You know all about them. And that's the significance of the handkerchief or the napkin being left here in the grave. Because there's no tears. And there's no work for us in heaven. There's nowhere that we will go in eternal life. Because that's what Revelation tells us. I wrote this down somewhere. Revelation 21.4 tells us there are no more tears in heaven. That's the significance of the napkin being left here. The work here has been finished. The tears for that there's no more heartache. There's no more sorrow for the children of God where Jesus went. Where Jesus is going. He went to prepare a place for us. And that's what he said. I will come again for you. You and I live in that reality today that the Lord Jesus Christ has taken our tears away. We live in the reality today that the Lord Jesus Christ has finished everything for us. We live in that reality by the power of the Holy Ghost. That's the only way. We certainly walk in this life and we're very fearful and we're, very, we're cumbered about the things in this life. How do we get from point A to point B? Christ. The Holy Spirit reveals to us Christ, what He's done. He reveals to us resurrection life. He reveals to us what life truly is in Jesus Christ. I love that one. I love, I, I gotta tell you, I love the fact that that napkin was left. I do. Because it secures, it shows me something about eternal life. And something that I can always leave behind. Work and tears. There's a lot of that in this life. But Jesus has accomplished it for his people. The fourth thing I want you to see, Lord willing, look at verse 12. Well, we'll just back up to 11. Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. And she saw two angels in white sitting the one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. So now she sees these two angels, one at the foot, one at the body where he would have been, as if to tell her he's not here, as we already said. He's not here, he's risen. Making the point that you come and you looked in the wrong place, and not only that, they asked the question, they said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Now, we're not told this, but I almost have to think, if I'm picturing this situation, that they're in front of her. They've been manifested now as something she can see. For you and I, Hebrews tells us that, Hebrews 1.14 tells us, are they not, speaking of angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them 
who shall be heirs of salvation. If you and I are heirs of salvation, we have ministering spirits, which are called angels, that watch over and around us. We don't talk much about that because the Bible doesn't say much about it except what I just read there. They're ministering spirits, which tells us something like, if I see a spirit, I can't see it. But they manifested themselves to Mary because she needed it. She needed to see those angels. They, they needed to have that message for her. And that message that they had to her was, why do you weep? And it's an interesting message because the body wasn't there. We're already told up in 9 that they didn't know from the scripture that he must rise again from the dead because of the hardness of our heart. It doesn't matter how many times we're told the gospel. Unless the Holy Spirit quickens it to us, we're not going to remember. We're not going to know. But it's almost to me like as they're looking to her, they're looking past her. They're looking over her shoulder. Now, it doesn't say that, but I'm just sitting there and I like to imagine things. I like to think about what it was like because all of a sudden, verse 14 says this. Oh, well, she says, she said unto them, because they have taken away my Lord and I know not where they have laid him. That was her answer. She's very nervous. She said they've taken this they people that we're not defined who they are. She has believed that the body was stolen. So when they had said thus, when she had thus said, sorry, she turned herself back all of a sudden. Now we know that's the drawing power of Christ. You and I will never turn back. You and I will keep walking the path we walk every day in the path of unbelief, in the path of hardness, in the path of sorrow, unless the Lord turns us back. But I have to believe that the spirits, the angels, were looking like, look behind you. And as she turns and looks, who's there? <laughs> and as she turns, she saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. What does that tell you? Dependency. And I'm going to tell you something. The angels don't reveal to us Jesus. The Holy Spirit does. Jesus does. The Father does. Who the Lord reveals himself to. She stood and turned around and saw Jesus and she still didn't know who he was. We can't be hard on Mary. Because that's the power of our unbelief. That's the limited knowledge we have. We can't turn around from the trial that we're in and see Jesus. We're too busy seeing ourselves. We're too busy worried and having sorrow like she's having. But the Lord left those ministering spirits to point her to Christ. They couldn't reveal Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And so she turned around and saw Jesus. That was the fourth thing left behind. All of them equally with significance for you and I to give us hope. Hope in the resurrection. That's not all. We got two more. First one being, the next one being light. There was no light in the tomb until that stone was rolled away. It was dark. There was nothing but complete darkness in that tomb. And then our text told us today they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher and they entered in and they found not the body of the Lord Jesus, but now there's light. 
And something we're told in the Word of God is that the light dispels darkness. It makes the darkness go away. That's what Christ is for our soul. When the light of Christ floods our soul, the darkness of life flees. The darkness of whatever it is we're going through leaves us because the light eats up the darkness. The light takes the place of the darkness as the sun came up. S-O-N-S-U-N, your interpretation. As the light fled, flooded the place, now darkness is no more. Isaiah said it this way in 42, 16. He said, and I will bring the blind by a way that they know not. He said, well, I'm not blind. Yes, you are, dear ones. We need to be held by the hand and we need to be brought into the way. Because we're blind. Just as Mary was blind to Jesus, we're blind. Without the Lord revealing himself to us. I will lead them in the past that they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked things straight. These things will I do unto them and not forsake them. He is the light. That's what John told us in John 1. He is the light that lights the children of God. He is that light. John 12, 46 says, I am come a light, this is Jesus speaking, into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness because he's the light. That's an important one. It's there in that empty tomb. There's light. It's Christ. No more darkness. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 tells us, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. That's our light is in the face of Christ. We must see Jesus. As those that saw were fearful when Jesus was transfigured and they were very fearful and they're on the ground and then they, they looked up and they saw Jesus only. That's the way it is for you and I. We need to see Jesus only. No matter what that is in our life, in the days of prosperity, we need to see Jesus. We need to see that it's His work. We need to see that it's His path. Whatever new venture we're going in, whatever new thing is in our life, Jesus must be the leader of that path or it won't be a path that leads to good because he's the only path. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the light that lights the children of God. And the last thing that I want to share with you this morning that was not in the tomb. Oh, I'm sorry, that was in the tomb. We're on to what was in the tomb. And that is simply a way out. There is now a way out. There's a way out of death, dear ones. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. But Jesus Christ is the gift of eternal life, right? Jesus Christ is the way of life, right? Jesus Christ showed us by coming out of the tomb that death had no hold on him. There is victory in Christ. 
He is the way out. He is the resurrection life. He is the eternal life. He's done it all. The place I want to leave you with today, if you turn at the end of 1 Corinthians 15. Just to accentuate this point, that He is the way out. He is the life. We've already read, well, we'll back up to 54. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, that's about our our resurrection, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, that's the change that comes, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. There is a way out of death. For the children of God. I've said that earlier today. There's not death for the children of God. All our life, Hebrews 2 tells us, all our life we're in fearfulness of death. The bondage of death is always upon us. We get that way when we get sick or when we, when we have ailments, when we, we, we hear things going around in the world or we hear about new sicknesses or whatever. Death, the specter of death is there. But as the psalmist tells us, the Lord leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. That shadow of death is always always here but it's just a shadow it's just a shadow it's not a reality it's a reality in the shadow world but it's not a reality in the physical world you say but i know i'm gonna lie down i know i'm gonna take my last breath yes yes but for the child of god it's the beginning of eternal life that's what he says death is swallowed up in victory oh death where is i sting O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. Thanks be to the triune God in this perfect plan of salvation, which giveth us the victory. That wasn't earned by us. He gave us as a gift of grace. He gave us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That hour is for the children of God. Our, the elect, the ones he died for. It's our Jesus. Therefore, my brethren, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in what? Your work? Always abounding in, in what you have to do? No, we just heard today. This is what resurrection life has accomplished for the children of God. He's done it all. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. That's where our freedom is. That's where our liberty is. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Shows me that the people of God are not Robots, they're not puppets. They're not sitting there complacent under a rock. We're living, living in the resurrection life of the Lord Jesus Christ. May the Lord today take the words that have been said. Maybe you haven't thought about those things that were left in the tomb. Maybe, maybe we've read them so many times that they didn't have a significant for us and I hope this morning that the Holy Spirit ties each one of those things to his holy word he shows you the significance of them in his word what he's done but other than that they're, they're meaningless but for the child of God the Lord always 
His word is so deep. As I said at the beginning, the searches of the the, the riches of Christ are unmeasurable and unmineable by us. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And may He today give you hope and comfort through these scriptures. To Him be all glory. Dear Heavenly Father, add Thy power, add Thy clarity. For Thy name's sake and for Thy glory. For this I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.